leaders address the belonging piece when they are not the bigger crowd? You're allowing the organizational culture, whatever that you define that to be, whether it's the department or the entire workplace, um, that people feel that they can express when they do or don't feel that sense of belonging. And, and so, again, it's going back to that garden. If I'm doing it right as a leader, I'm making that that workplace culture a part where if people do feel disenfranchised, they'll they'll share it. They'll have that trust level. There's that T word again. Uh, they'll have that trust level to say, you know what, Steve, as my boss, I, in that meeting, I didn't feel like I was heard at all. Great. Tell me why, Craig. Why do you feel that way? And what can I do next time to be different so that you do feel that sense of bombing? Welcome to the Impact Leadership Podcast brought to you by Cartavera, the leadership development ecosystem that helps you grow your people, grow your business, and grow your life. We are back here for episode number 79 with our special guest, Dr. Steve Iacovelli. And the title of today's episode is Pride Leadership, what it takes to be a consciously inclusive leader. Steve comes to us, he's known as the gay leadership dude. He wrote a book a couple of years ago called Pride Leadership, strategies for LBGTQ plus professionals to be the king or queen of their jungle. He started and now runs a company called Top Dog Learning, which is all about leadership, change management, diversity, inclusion. They are a consulting firm. He's a speaker, a coach, obviously an author, and he believes in some basic fundamentals about leadership. You're going to hear about what Steve considers the top three growth opportunities for leaders. We're going to talk about how important it is to focus on creating a sense and a culture of belonging within your organization. And we're going to spend a lot of time talking about his concept of what it means to be consciously inclusive. I know that you are going to be inspired and perhaps challenged by the conversation today, but it is a conversation that needs to be had. It is a message that needs to not only be heard, but put into action. Podcast, where we explore leadership, business, and personal growth to help you grow your business and live a richer life. We're your hosts, Jeff Dishwitz and Craig Matthews. We believe that leaders have to put their people first. And if you don't have time to grow your people, then you're not leading. Get ready for conversations that will challenge your thinking and help you transform your leadership and your business. Welcome to your bigger business and bigger life. We are back here today, and I'm really thrilled to have the guest we have today. We have Dr. Steve Iacovelli with us. He is known as the Gay Leadership Dude. He is the owner and principal of a company he founded called Top Dog Learning Group, which is all about, you know this, I love this, leadership, change management, diversity, and inclusion. They're based in Orlando, Florida, uh, and he does some amazing things, not just leadership, but he's all about organizational development, putting together instructional design, custom e-learning creation. And he works with a couple small companies on a regular basis. You might have heard of them. Uh, Walt Disney, uh, Bayer, Accenture, IBM, Convestro, one of one near and dear to my heart, the Ohio State University. Yeah. <laughs> guys, they finally beat Clemson last week. Yeah, no. Really happy. About time, huh? <laughs> yes. I am a Buckeye as a well. Way. I am a Buckeye as well, so there's that. Oh, right on, brother. There we go. Now now I know why. Yeah, that's why we're connecting so easily. And this other small organization called the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. You might have heard of them a little bit. 
But what I love about Steve already, just in our brief conversation is, and that we're going to talk about this today. He's so passionate about leadership, workplace equality, and a phrase that he termed called being consciously inclusive, which comes out of his most recent book, which is being a consciously inclusive. Let me start that again. I'm reading the speech. I'm really excited to learn more about this idea of being consciously inclusive. And this comes out of Steve's book, Pride Leadership, Strategies for LBGTQ Plus Professionals to Be the King or Queen of Their Jungle. So welcome, Dr. Steve. Thank you so much, Jeff and Craig. Really happy to be here. Good to have you. So Steve, give our listeners a little bit of your personal journey. Well, it was started when I was born. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> just kidding. Oh, there we go. <laughs> no. Um, so with Top Dog Learning Group, um, we actually started as a part-time. And I say we, I, I had a business partner when we founded it in 2008. We were still with Disney. Uh, we specifically were the, with the cruise line. And I was following my friend Ruth around, taking her job, basically. And we were on the, one of the ships and we're you know just having dinner. We've gotten to know each other over a couple of weeks. And she's like, we need to have dinner. I'm like, well, we're on a ship for seven days. We're going to have, she's like, no, no, no. Let's have a very, very specific dinner. I'm like, all right. So we sat down to have a chat. She's like, we should start a company. I'm like, we have jobs. As a matter of fact, I'm taking yours and you're moving elsewhere. She's like, no, no, no. Let's, let's start a part-time company. You know, we're like the perfect chief learning officer. I'm like, mm, maybe. So we went to our leader at, at, at the cruise line, our senior executive in HR. And we told her the deal. And she's like, this is fantastic. Don't use Disney stuff. Don't use Disney time. Have fun, friends. And that's kind of how Top Dog was born. Um, you know, and we kind of did the part-time thing. It was really an excuse to kind of drink some wine during the week, you know, and like conquer the training world. But then um, in late 2007, I actually found myself out of a job. Ruth kind of stayed with Disney. She, she actually ended up retiring at a very senior executive position with the, the entire company. Um, and I kind of figured myself through and I realized, wait, I'm, I'm, I just got uh, separated from my last job. We well, can go there if you'd like. Um, but I'm like, you know what? I have this business. Let's see what happens. And so in 2008 is when I actually flipped the switch and turned Top Dog into my full-time venture. Um, awesome time to start a full-time company, by the way. Um, <laughs> but it worked out well. And, and Top Dog's kind of been my main jam ever since. Yeah, I also started my business in February of 2009. So I feel it, baby. I feel <laughs> exactly. it. Yeah, great timing. Exactly. So, well, I, I came up with a phrase then. It's always the right time for the right thing. Exactly. That's how I've been living my life ever since. So, Steve, I want to—I always like to ask our guests, especially um, leadership thought leaders, this question. Talk to us about how you see the state of leadership today. That's Ooh. a gorgeously broad question. <laughs> um, Good luck with that one, Steve. <laughs> yeah, so I, I will—I'll boil it down to, from my perspective, there's three different areas of uh, you know at Disney. We never said problems; it said areas of opportunity. So that kind of always stuck with me. <laughs> Um, so I think there's three areas of opportunity with, with leaders in, in general. Of course, this is insanely in generalization. One is being better listeners than being better speakers. Um, I often coach a lot of the leaders that I work with, you know, and there's that old phrase, you have two ears and one mouth for a reason. It's so true. And, and I, I see a lot of people, um, to paraphrase Stephen Covey, listen to respond versus listen to understand. So I think that's the first opportunity with a lot of leaders is to really just just shut the flip up and listen to what people are saying, what your customers are saying, what your people are saying. Yeah. That's, that's such a massive thing. As a matter of fact, um, in one of my, um, we have an eight week online leadership program we do tomorrow's module is communication. So maybe that's why this is also top of mind. It's not um, shut up and listen. Exactly. Close. <laughs> that's communication. Fine. Yeah. I think the second thing too, is not just listening, but having empathy. And I think 
yeah. as we look at um, everything that's going around with us, with the Black Lives Matter movement, and, and just all these opportunities for leaders to just really stop and try to understand from an emotional perspective where people, employees, peers, customers are coming from, from that emotional perspective. And then I think really it's um, the concept of being authentic. Uh, you hear about this. I'm not inventing authenticity. Brene Brown is an awesome and so many others are. But I think truly smart leaders have an opportunity to, especially in this day and age, show their authenticity, who they truly are in the workplace. And all three of these really contribute to building trust within the workplace. So love those three. I want to dig in on number two, because I think that seems to be the hardest to really grapple with because it's, it's stepping outside of yourself and into somebody else's shoes and to really understand where they're coming from. So what are some techniques or let me put it a different way. How can we choose to be in that place of stepping into somebody else's shoes on an when, ongoing basis? Yeah. And, and it's, it is hard. I mean, I, I will absolutely acknowledge that. I share that with my leaders. You know, it's, it's not easy getting into that perspective. And if you go into like psychology, Myers-Briggs and all that fun stuff, for some of us, it's even more hard because it's completely against our, our personality preference. Yeah. But getting there, um, you can do some very simple things that start to get you down that path. The first, um, I, I often tell my leaders, and I, like I said, you know, Jeff did the nice intro, um, tend to work with bigger companies, not always, mm-hmm. but those who we are working with usually have employee resource groups. So uh, you know, the, it's like the, the demographic groups within a business that kind of get together pull the resources, kind of not only bond and com- uh, our, you know, our uh, comrades and such um, and have that commonality, but s- smart businesses also leverage that as a business advantage saying, hey, women's group, how are you looking at this? Hey, people of color employees, what are you seeing? And so I, I often tell people one of the best ways to start to get empathy is to join one of those employee resource groups that you're not a part of. That's not your demographic. Interesting. Okay. So uh, I know when I was at IBM, I was part of the women's group. Um, specifically to understand what my female coworkers were, were oh, facing good. within the IBM workplace. And wow. I think any of us could do that. It doesn't matter which group, doesn't matter your demographic, okay. be an awesome ally in one of those groups so you start to give empathy and, and develop empathy and see things differently through that lens. Hmm. Well, wow, obviously that's idea. something you can do personally too. I mean, I think that's a conscious choice we can make, which I've been making the last number of years is because I realized that if I've stayed in default mode, the people I hung out with were always going to be like me, right? Yeah. Typically, so I had to take more open, more intentional steps to get myself around other people. So I constantly heard a different perspective, yeah. not from saying I'm here to dig into your perspective, but let's just spend time together, and I will mm-hmm. therefore learn more about your perspective, whatever it is. Goes back to number one: listen, listening yeah, to understand. Right. Yep. So I, I think there's to me as you talked about those three, I love them, Steve. Because to me, they're all connected mm-hmm. because I, if I'm empathetic, I need to be a better listener. And if I am empathetic, I will be a better listener. And yeah. being more authentic is an element. It's all connected, right, to me. Yeah. And I want to talk about authenticity a minute. And there's two points I want to address. One is, I think it's, a, I personally think it's the bigger challenge because it's not only requires vulnerability, but it requires, there's a collision because the research says that the leader's biggest fear is failure, not being seen as confident enough or being making mistakes. And yet those are the three things that go into vulnerability. So if you've got your biggest fear and your biggest objective, that a bit of a clash. So I'd like, I, I'll, I, won't, I won't mention the second one yet. Can you speak to what you're finding in that and how are you guiding leaders on that topic? 
it, it's, it, it is a really great question. And, it, and Jeff, you're exactly right. It, it, it is putting yourself as a leader in a really weird spot that maybe is, is depending on kind of your, your upbringing and your experience where a leader's not supposed to be. And, and so I, I often tell people when, um, when you know, we're either coaching them or, or in our workshops and whether they be virtual or face-to-face, um, you know, the challenge of being a leader is that you don't have to know all the answers. And if you think you are, that's your job as a leader, you're not really a leader. You're not really doing it right, in my opinion. Um, smart leaders surround themselves with wicked smart people, to quote my Boston friend. And, um, and that, that lack of knowledge is, is a vulnerable spot, but it's, it's humble, smart leaders who say, you know what, I'm not the expert here. And, you know, I, I use a, a quick example. Um, years ago, before I started Top Dog, I worked for a global manufacturing and direct selling company. And um, I remember, you know, they had their issues as a corporate culture, but one of the things they did insanely well was succession planning. And one of the things that, that, that they would do was they would just mix up executives all the time. And, you know, again, a global company. And I remember they took the senior EV, EVP of HR, pulled her from the world headquarters and plopped her into Mexico City to run a factory. And I thought, ah, that's awesome. I love I'm it. like, what the, what are you doing? And they're like, she so knows great. leadership. She doesn't know manufacturing, but she doesn't need to. That's what the plant management's for. Her job is to make sure they're doing their leadership stuff awesomely and to get stuff out of their way for them to perform at their most. And I'm like, that's, that's brilliant. Absolutely. And I think that, that to me is authenticity. You know, a smart leader doesn't have to know how to pull the widgets and all that fun stuff, but knows how to, um, I use the analogy of a gardener. You know, smart leaders are gardeners. They're not telling their flowers, grow. They're saying, okay, <laughs> let, me, let me make the soil. Let me get the nutrients. Let's get the sun. And great, set the context. And then you let the flowers grow as they will. Oh, that's such a good, good analogy. I think when we're looking at that, it, it really brings to, to bear the fact that we, we need to get into those different places, but really the ego comes into a play so much. And the thing is, people understand, people already know that you don't know those things, right? So it's not any great revelation if you say, hey, I don't know that much about this area. Like, finally, you'll admit it, right? Yeah. So I, I want to talk about authenticity, the second piece. And this is something that's come up for me in the last week or so. It really got highlighted. I think one of the challenges with authenticity is, is one of the most often misunderstood or differently understood concepts. So two quick examples that happened in the last two weeks. There was a, I think it was on a LinkedIn exchange and someone was saying something about confidence. And I put a comment about, well, for me, if I'm really being authentic, I believe people who are authentic will appear as more genuinely confident versus someone who is practicing confidence. And someone came back and said, you know, I know some people who aren't so cool authentically, and I'd rather be work with someone who's confident. And I thought, wait a minute. So he and I are using different definitions. And I think it ties to what some leaders say is, okay, authentic means I just get to be myself. (laughs) Even if that means I'm an asshole and I'm abrupt and I'm rude, that's me. And now I'm being authentic. Did I win the leadership (laughs) prize? So talk to that. (laughs) Well, let's ask the people around you if you won that leadership prize. It's out there. (laughs) Yeah. And and, you actually, you, you hit the point on the head, Jeff, before, um, you know, and I bring up these, you know, the three that I mentioned earlier wasn't by accident. It's, they are three of the six that I focus on in, in my book, Pride Leadership. So, you know, they're very near and dear to my heart. But I picked those six very purposively because they're the ones I am seeing leaders kind of grapple with. And, and those who are listening, you're not seeing my weird um, visual 
because my green screen is laying one out. But authenticity, empathy, and you know, and communication, which is the listening part, um, none of these are in a vacuum. And and to your point about authenticity, you know, it takes courage to be authentic. Courage is another leadership competency. Um, you know, and and to to Craig's point about like, oh well, if I'm empathetic, it's all, uh, building into the uh, the authenticity piece. Yes, these are all intertwined. There's I've yet to find one leadership competency. That kind of is the, the the cheese stands alone to kind of paraphrase my, my childhood song. Um, you know, that that's it's the only thing you need to go the silver bullet. They're shenanigans. That's not it. They all are so gorgeously tied. And so when you have a leader, it's like, I'm authentic. Well, you're yeah, maybe you're focusing on the one, but you just disenfranchise the other 29 leadership competencies that make you a more well-rounded leader. Yeah. So, so Steve, I'm curious, you talked about before we got on about some of the focus of the inquiries during this year. Uh, because of the social unrest of Black Lives Matter and a lot of your work around conscious and being consciously inclusive. But before we get to the topic, you've been very active this year in leadership and coaching and speaking. It feels to me that this year has really given leaders, positional leaders, an opportunity to either rise up or epically fail when it comes to empathy. <laughs> yeah. And I'm curious, what have you seen of, in the terms of the leaders who have really risen up well during this time it, you know i hate to repeat but it goes back to the to the empathy piece um you know and with that there's a big massive asterisk on that with this particular year and i'll get to that in just a moment but i think you know the successful leaders smart leaders are having empathy for the situation for all those people around them and and i just to clarify define leader as anybody who has influence it could be an individual contributor so when I was a team, I could run a company or a department, I could be an army of one, whatever that looks like, you're still a leader in my eyes. And so smart leaders are looking at ways that, you know, what are the people around me? How are they doing? You know, checking in on that empathy piece of it. You know, what's going through their heads? What challenges do they have? Those are the leaders who are doing it well. The big asterisk that I shared a few moments ago, but if I'm a leader and I just don't have the, the bandwidth to do that because I'm still all about me, that's completely okay right now. And, and I think owning that and even just sharing that with your team, that, you know, like, look, I want to I wanna help you. I'm trying to help myself first, just so you know, I'm not ignoring you. I'm in survival mode. That in of itself is completely awesome. Just to be that, that authentic leader again, to share with those around you, you know, what's going on, how am I feeling, how am I not feeling, you know, I, someone asked me um, the other day, uh, you know, how did you define success in 2020? And I said, you know what? For some people, it was surviving. And yeah. that's completely okay. For others, it was like, okay, uh, you know, I tend to be more resilient in times of change. So uh, one of the ways I do that is I, I just get stuff done because I have to do it, you know, and, and it keeps my mind and, and moving. And it's one of the things I actually teach in my resilience class. Um, and, and so for me, it was getting things done and moving forward and, and, you know, being forced to do that, you know, quick story. I lost everything in, in April, the first week of April, you know, the way top dog works is we um, we're the certified vendor for several big companies. So we book all of our stuff for the, the entire year bulk of it anyway, by February. Yep. I, you know, I have a bunch of top doggers my awesome consultants who go and do much of the work. We were, we were done selling, you know, by the end of February. And then as things unfolded with the, the pandemic, I lost everything that the last um, client came back in the very first week of April and said, Steve, we, we can't have your team on site anymore. We know that. And it's just like, I lost everything. <laughs> so for me, it was a, I could have just said, well, suck it up buttercup. And I'm just going to go hang over here with my Netflix and popcorn and just hope this all pans out. 
versus, okay, well, let's restart my whole business from the ground up and see what happens. And that's kind of what happened for me. Yeah, good. Well, there's been a lot of people go through yeah, that. Absolutely. I, I, I want to talk about something you alluded to, Steve. We, Craig and I were on a podcast last week, and one of the hosts was talking about when he was coming up through the ranks in corporate America, they used to send leaders to what he phrased charm school. <laughs> and the context was, you know, they, they just didn't know how to relate to people. And when I heard that, I kind of had a, I'll call almost a negative reaction because I still see that happening where they'll take leaders and managers and go try and give them the tools of empathy, the tools of listening. And I tend to focus on, wait a minute, how, why can't we help them really start to actually care about these people <laughs> right. versus trying to give them these tricks yes. to make it appear that they care? So I'm curious in your work, do you find you have to make that discernment and how do you do that in your business when you're working with your clients? I, it's a fantastic question. I, so I've taught college in the past. I both from a full time right after I got my doctorate um, side note, my doctorate's in instructional technology and distance education. So this world of zoom, I better know what the hell, I'm doing, <laughs> quite frankly. Um, so, you know, both as an adjunct, as well as a full time uh, professor for a hot minute, it wasn't for very long. Um, but I saw it always reinforced what I've always known about adult learning theory and how people learn, you know, that whole, you can lead a horse to water, dot, dot, dot. And that's kind of the approach I take with all of my clients. I am blunt when I say to my clients, a couple of things. The first is, yes, our name is top dog learning group, but we're really about change management. Um, if you look at the concept of change management, learning of course is part of that, but so is effective communication strategy. So is measurement strategy. So is, executive support or perceived executive support, et cetera, et cetera. So I, I, in every proposal we do, every conversation we do, we're like, yes, we can create learning. We can share our off-the-shelf stuff. Absolutely smurfly we can. However, if you think we're a silver bullet, no, that's malpractice and I don't want to play. Huh. And so I, I, you, you put that to the individual, it's the same thing. Um, I am absolutely open to having you know 30 leaders come through our three-day workshops and we can do those things and et cetera, et cetera. But it's up to the leader to take it and do something with it. And, and I share that with the client. And say, you know, your opportunity is to see you're giving these people a gift. You're taking them out of the office. You're usually flying them on an airplane when we can do such things. You know, now what you do on the back end as part of your measurement strategy is to see what do they do with it? Do, do their ratings change? Do their team members look differently at them? Does their performance increase? And that's your metric that you should be kind of playing with. And if someone doesn't change, well, then there's an opportunity for you to have a conversation with them to see what's going on. The other thing I would look at is because companies have turnover, that would be an opportune time to actually make sure that people coming in already have the traits that we're looking for. Because a lot of that, you know, yes, everything can be trained, but if you already have somebody that has that basic caring about other people, I would think that that'd be a really good place to start. And it's, and it's a great point, Craig, the challenge that I felt, and I agree with you, but then the challenge is, well, then where do we start to tier on only hiring people who look just like us? And so there's this weird fine line between values alignment and gap of skill. And, and there's no right answer, but I, I've seen organizations who are, you know, like some of the pharma clients I have, they were going down the tick box being like, oh, they've done sales. Oh, they've done this. Oh, they've done that. And I'm like, well, wait a minute. What about the yoga instructor? This is, and this is based on a true story, by the way. What about the yoga instructor whose resume you got? who, yeah, she has a, a pharma background or bio, uh, chemistry background, but has been teaching yoga classes on the side for years and now wants to be a field salesperson. Why are you not just, why would you not look at her? 
No, no, I totally agree with that. What I'm talking about is the core of, you know, I genuinely care about other people. Okay. And and bringing that in rather than the skill set. Skill set is much, much easier to train than I think our, our core perspective on the world. Yep. Agreed. Agreed. Yeah, I well, think there's 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 that uh, that opportunity for for values alignment, or can you help shape the values alignment? And that's not always the easy part to do. Right. Well, I think you raise a really good point there, Steve. I, I really that's my big takeaway already from this is the idea that even if I'm looking at values, it's possible that that is causing me to pick people like me that are beyond values. Because they can, they can appear like me, they can talk like me, and therefore I assume they have those values. So I think that's a really good awareness that whenever I'm looking for something to make sure I get so locked in that I end up getting more than I bargained for, not in yep. a good way. Yep. Uh, I think that's a good awareness. And I think that one of the things, I'm, as you were talking, Steve, what I was pondering was even if we bring in people that have those traits, if I bring them into a culture that doesn't really live those, there's a good chance we'll either lose them or they lose those traits, believe yep. it or not, because they're going to try and succeed because there's a lot of people who have those traits, but they also want to succeed. And they may say, you tell me, oh, so those traits don't, I don't win here with those traits. Yep. There's a lot of people still in this world that would say, I'm going to put those traits aside because I'm going to win here. Yep. Yeah. And, and so two things that, that you just made me think of, Jeff, you and I actually illustrated this at the very beginning of our conversation. Because you know you talked about Ohio State, go Bucks, and I said I'm a Buckeye, and you're like, yeah, and we built rapport like like that. Why? Because you assumed you and I have similar values because we went to the same school, which <laughs> may or may not be true. I you know, and I'm I'm using this as an analogy, but it's it's what we do. You know, we humans like to find like pack animals because that's safe, that's easy, that makes it you know we have a common starting point, and that's where that unconscious bias comes into play, which can be a good thing. But it can also be a bad thing. And, and so to your point, Jeff, um, you know, when we start going down that path of hiring new people or, or even finding new clients, or whatever that looks like, there's this weird balance on like, likes, like, but are we disenfranchising people who aren't like us for maybe some of these weird reasons we aren't even aware of? Wow. So that's where we need a coach. <laughs> you know, see that blind spot and say, hey, you know, I, I realize this may be an area. Help me out here. Yeah. Well, I yep. will say, Steve. Actually, it wasn't that I assumed the same values. I, I did assume that you felt uh, surrounded by the enemy being in Florida. because This is, uh, this is definitely, uh, as, um, <clears throat> you know, the different. Uh, let's put it this way. When I watched the game on Friday night, I was the only one pounding the table all night. <laughs> and the, rest of, <laughs> the rest of the night, everybody else was sad and quiet. So yes. that, yeah. that was the common bond. Oh, well. Oh, well. <laughs> I think this is a great time. I, I really want to transition because we're talking about unconscious bias. And, and you have this concept. I've not, not seen it before, that phrase of consciously inclusive. Mm -hmm. We've talked about inclusivity, intentional yep. inclusivity, but talk to us about your concept of conscious inclusion. It actually started, um, again, when I was at Disney and I was teaching some leadership programs where there was this kind of overlap with, with diversity and inclusion. And I remember, um, and it was one of the very first things I was doing. I was kind of, you know, shining you out of the rapper, cast member kind of thing. And I was doing this workshop and there was this gentleman in the back of the room and you could just tell by his body language, he was so voluntold to be there. You know what I mean? He was, he was not, 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 not on board. Kind of sitting back there, you know, with hands crossed, kind of slouching down. So during one of the breaks, I went up to him and I say, you know, Fred, we'll just say, 
um, it, you know, is there, are you okay? Is there something you'd like to share? He's like, well, you're talking about unconscious bias. Well, if it's unconscious, I can't do anything about it. And I'm like, huh? So that was, and you know, thank you for that perspective, Fred, and teaching teachable moment for me. So from that point, I started, you know, and it was not my phrase. I I heard it somewhere else, but I'll you know take I'll take ownership without the copyright on the side. Um, <laughs> but uh, I I you know, started flipping it around to the active and said, okay, it's not unconscious bias. You have to be consciously inclusive. And, and so that's kind of the, the focus that I've always shared with leaders is, you know, this is not some passive thing that you can't do anything about. Absolutely, you can do things about it to be more consciously inclusive of the quote unquote others uh, within the world. And, and I think that's kind of the focus I like to share with my leaders. Um, that's kind of you know, one of the chapters in my book, but it's really been the, the big um, story and focus that I've been trying to share with people because it resonates with anybody. You can be an ally for any other group that you're not a part of. You can be constantly inclusive of all the people within whatever demographic group you're part of. And I think it's just a way to, to start to rethink about how we're including folks. And oh, by the way, it feeds into all six of the competencies I talk about in my book, you know, authenticity, courage, empathy, et cetera, et cetera. So it's just kind of a nice way to start to approach the leadership journey. Let's take a quick break and hear from our sponsors. The Impact Leadership Podcast is brought to you by Cartevera. Cartevera is a leadership development ecosystem with training, coaching, resources, events, and a community to help you grow. At Cartevera, we believe that you can't grow a business bigger than you, that your company is limited by your growth. We blend personal growth with leadership, team, and business growth to give you a single place to grow your people, grow your business, and grow your life. You can find out more at cartevera.com. Welcome back. So, so I want to dig right into this. I guess I'll ask the question this way, Steve. There's a lot of leaders in my experience, and I'm reading about them. I read these, and sometimes I read the things they say, and I go, oh my God, did you really just say that? <laughs> they, they say they want to have a more inclusive and diverse workforce. Yeah. And they say, you know, they fall back to, well, we're just hiring from the people we get. Mm. What are we supposed to do? But here's the question I guess I want to start with. I feel like leaders can't create a really inclusive workplace until they're willing to acknowledge that they have played a role in it not being. Because to me, if they don't recognize that, yeah. they're not going to change their behavior. They're not going to change their thinking. And I think, I, I just guess, I, I guess I'll leave the question there. What are your thoughts on that? That's your, your spot on Jeff. Matter of fact, in, in the, uh, both in the book and, and my keynotes and all that fun stuff that I've been doing. Um, I break it down into three areas that leaders can focus on. It's think in, speak up, act out. And the Say very first again, one, Steve? think in, think. speak up and act out. And so when we think about, um, down here, when we think about ways that we as a consciously inclusive leader can focus, you start with the think in that's you. That's exactly what you just said, Jeff. And it's, like dissecting what is it about me? What have I done? What are my unconscious biases that I may not know because they're unconscious? And there's things that you can do to explore that in you know, the privacy of your own home, whatever that looks like. But it takes that awareness of you're right. I, you know, how did or how could I have contributed to being exclusive, if you go to the opposite, uh, within my workplace? You start there. And then the speak up is kind of those around you. Um, you know, what am I doing to make sure that I'm, I'm creating a an inclusive environment for all? What am I saying during those weekly department Zoom meetings when someone says that 
that crappy disparaging remark against XYZ demographic? And do I just sit there and say nothing in that silent collusion way? Or do I have the leadership courage to say something and address that and make sure that people aren't feeling disenfranchised? And then the act out part is, all right, let's look at the bigger organization, the bigger business. You know, what are we doing? You, know, you, you brought up the great point about hiring. You know, oh, we're just getting the talent we get. Where are you putting your posts? What websites? Who demographically frequents those? Are you doing, you know, going to just certain colleges to recruit for you know, whatever that is? What's the demographics of that candidate pool? So it's really taking a detailed step back to think about five steps before you get to the point where you're like, oh, but that's all we got to hire. Mm, is it? Let's find out. And so really acting out within the workplace to really look at the systems, the processes, down to the little things like the HR forms, the intake forms, orientation, the images that you're showing for, here's what a leader looks like at our company. Um, These are all little tiny things that really speak volumes when you're trying to be consciously inclusive. Let's, let's bring it home for some people. What, when we, when we do talk about this and being consciously inclusive, let's say I'm a manager of a a 10 person team. Okay. So now we're going to have a meeting. And in that meeting, we are talking about something related to the company that we need to do. And to be consciously inclusive, am I bringing in each person's perspective? You know, I'm, I'm intentionally saying, okay, this person is female, this person is gay, this person is black, you know, things like that. Or am I just opening the discussion? What does that look like for them? It's a great question, Craig. I think it's, it's thinking about, you know, taking a step back and thinking about the, the, the concepts of diversity, inclusion, and, and actually belonging. And so, um, you know, I look at, um, you know, people often say diversity, inclusion, you being constantly inclusive, inclusive. So diversity is the many differences and similarities between people, period. When you look at the many definitions, that's kind of where it boils down to. Inclusion is um, allowing people to, to be part of the conversation, you know, the proverbial seat at the table, um, you know, where, you know, we're listening or, or providing the opportunity kind of to your point. But what I challenge people to do is focus on the concept of belonging. And that's kind of the next evolution yeah. of diversity and inclusion. So belonging is, is about the employee, about the team member, where it's I sit at the table and I feel that I can share my perspective without any retribution. Um, awesome. you know, I can be my authentic self. Um, yeah. You know, it, it's, you know, the, the concept, you know, being invited to the dance, asked to dance, and then I dance however the heck I want to. And everyone's cool with that. And, and so trust. what's that comes back to trust and every, I know that's, everyone says that they're like, How, could you know the secret to leadership? And I'm like, I do <laughs> I'm like, yeah, one word, one page, my 356 page book could have been, you know, very tiny trust. Everything mm-hmm. comes down to trust. Yep. And so I think if you're a smart leader, Craig, to answer your question, creating that space where people feel that sense of belonging that they can share when they want to, their perspective, their idea, their input, that's the goal of good leadership. Gotcha. So it's really caring about each individual, regardless of what their background is. And, you know, I mean, let's be, let's be real. We notice the differences between people and it's not just skin color and sex and things like that. It's also, you know, how they approach things, how they dress, um, how they talk, you know, all of those things play into Am I going to believe this person? Am I going to trust this person? Am I going to listen to this person? Yep, absolutely. There's a, a really fantastic um, way that we, there's the, think and speak up back up. Um, there's a really fantastic way to define um, tr- the true concepts of diversity by uh, two awesome women in LA called Garden Schwartz and Roe, Lee and Anita. Um, and it's, it's called the, 
four layers of diversity. They've actually since expanded to five. I won't go into too many details, but um, the the two first layers, it, it, think of a bullseye. It's kind of how the layers are situated. The dead center is personality. That's what makes every human unique. You, know, you will never be the same as any other human out there. So that's kind of the core. The next layer out is the uh, internal dimensions, which are the things that most organizations go for. They're like, you know, I, I kind of do this litmus test when I'm first working with clients and say, you know, would you consider yourselves, you know, embracing diversity? Yeah, of course we are. We have blank money. Like, mm, <laughs> a good start. Yes. Um, and that's kind of the stuff that you see in that internal dimensions. It's race, ethnicity, uh, gender, uh, sexual orientation, physical ability, kind of asterisk on that. Um, these are things that are pretty solid for the most part within your world. They don't really change a whole lot. And, and, but, Smart organizations, smart leaders go beyond that to define what diversity means. And so if I'm that leader in that, that meeting, I want to know what my introverts and extroverts are doing and, and thinking through it from that perspective, because they're approaching the world in a different and unique way that we want to be inclusive of. You go all the way out for the layers. It's you know like where I sit in an organization. So I want my accounting friends to share their perspective as well as my sales friends, if it's appropriate, because <laughs> so they're looking... Up. <laughs> now, see, now you're stereotyping. See, I know introverted uh, salespeople. No, but, no, okay. All right, coaching session. <laughs> but no, I mean, but that's that's the great point. It, it's really understanding that yet there are there are trends with all of these facets of diversity, but you never stereotype or generalize because you know you'll find that extroverted um, accountant or that introverted salesperson, and they're awesome. They bring a different perspective to the team. So one thing you really touched on, Steve, I really want to dig into a little more. You talked about belonging, and it makes me think about two things. In terms of a lot of the categories you're talking about of diversity, a lot of them, I've often felt like I don't belong. However, in the big categories, I do belong. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've, I've navigated this world as a tall, which I add is a factor. <laughs> A tall, white guy, born here, highly educated, heterosexual, cisgender, um, uh, growing up, uh, uh, Protestant. You know, I was the I was the in crowd in all yep. those categories, right? Sure. So it's difficult. For, now, there's a lot of ways I felt like I don't fit. A lot of places, how I see things, how I think, all those things. So I've experienced not feeling like I don't belong, but I've in those categories, I've always belonged. Mm-hmm. And I, I wonder in this process how often this is missed, this belonging piece, because saying I've got, you know, okay, well, we've got diversity on our team because we have a couple of folks <laughs> of color. We have a couple of Hispanic. Yeah, you know, right. I think we got a gay dude or hanging around here somewhere. We got a couple. We got all this. But that doesn't address the belonging. Yep. How do leaders address the belonging piece when they are not the bigger crowd? They ask. I mean, it, it doesn't, it's, it's the smartest way to do it. It's, it's just making sure that you're, or you're, you're allowing the organizational culture, whatever that you define that to be, whether it's the department or the entire workplace, um, that people feel that they can express when they do or don't feel that sense of belonging. And, and so Again, it's going back to that garden. If I'm doing it right as a leader, I'm making that that workplace culture a part where if people do feel disenfranchised, they'll they'll share it. They'll have that trust level. There's that T word again. Uh, they'll have that trust level to say, you know what, Steve, as my boss, I in that meeting, I didn't feel like I was heard at all. Great. 
tell me why, Craig. Why do you feel that way? And what can I do next time to be different so that you do feel that sense of bombing? It could be the smart leaders who try to get ahead of that. And you know, you know your team and you're in that meeting, you're in that Zoom, and you, you go to your, your more introverted folks and say, um, hey, Jeff, as my introvert, we'll pretend anyway, and uh, you know, as, as my introvert, you know, not saying that label, but what do you think? You know, you've been quiet. You know, do you have anything to share? Even better, let Jeff share or think about the questions being asked in that meeting the day before, because that's a little bit better for that introvert to process through versus that on the fly moment, because typically that's not how introverts process and that's totally okay. So, you know, it's those different ways that as a consciously inclusive leader, I'm already let, planting those seeds in my day to day to make sure that I'm trying to address or, or, or be as open as much as possible for folks so that they do feel they have that sense of belonging. Well, I love the, I love the piece about trust. I, I'm in the same camp with you. I think it all comes down to trust. If you have to throw out everything, <laughs> if we focus on trust, everything's a tentacle off of that. And I do believe that once you have that, now those conversations can happen more openly. I'm a big believer, and, and Craig and I have talked about this a lot, in the power and disempowerment of words. In fact, I heard a recent example. This happened to be between a husband and wife. I loved it and it helped me learn because her husband had come home and was talking about an exchange at work where a woman gave him a compliment. And what he said to her was, thank you, that was really sweet. And his wife asked him the question, if a man had made the same compliment, would you <laughs> told the man that it was yep. sweet? Now, he said he would have, but I thought, what a great awareness, because I don't know that I would have thought about that difference. That's, to me, another bit of unconscious maybe coming up. Absolutely. I might use different language that's not appropriate, and, it's, but, and it's, it creates difference. It creates separation. But how awesome that they had the trust to have the conversation. That's, yeah, right that's where it's gold. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, um, I often tell people that, and actually it's also in, in the book, is you know, having putting this back into the work context, but kind of similarly, you know, we all have that work wife, work husband, work BFF, who we totally trust, but they also know the corporate organizational culture. And so you, if you're trying to change your own development, especially for things that maybe sit in that unconscious, give them carte blanche to say, look, here's what I'm trying to do. Look out for me and help me see it right or wrong. And, and it, it's funny because over the years, um, a lot of my friends have me do that with them. I'm like, they're like, you're the HR police. I'm like, no, 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 let's not call it that. <laughs> but do I have a heightened sense of awareness? Oh, heck yeah. yeah. And so, you know, we have, they, they give me permission. I'm like, fantastic. I will share with you with respect and confidence that feedback should you wish to use it. And they're, you know, always game for it. So Jeff and I've talked a lot about this, this issue of let's, let's bring it up to the group. And so how much, do we share about our intentionality and being able to be called out? So for example, this is, this is the place where we now become a little bit more transparent, maybe a little more vulnerable. And we're saying, look, what I want is I want everybody to feel like you belong in this group. Now that's not something that I can do everything about, but what I want is that if, if you feel like I'm saying something or somebody else is saying something that makes you feel less a part of this group, we want to know about that. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and okay. you're, you're, you're setting the goals of the garden. Yeah. And, and, and so then I think it's as a leader, my job then is to make sure that you have as, as the team members have the tools to do that, to help us you know, go toward that common vision of being more, more inclusive. 
So the trial of thrust. <laughs> getting back to that, yeah, I know, right? Um, so, so like for example, um, I share with with leaders. Here's a very easy strategic thing you do. There is, if you Google feedback models, you'll get like ninety eight thousand. Pick one. Teach your team. <laughs> I'll get I'll get on the same page with it. And you know, I'm a big fan of the EECC method of feedback. You know, um, but again, figure out which one you like. Sometimes workplace organizations have their standard preferred. Whatever. Pick one. Teach it to your team use that as the, the the foundation to help create that feedback rich culture. And then you add that with a culture of trust, you're good. So Steve, that's a really great point. And I don't think uh, Craig and I have even talked about this on the podcast. This is kind of the first time I'm involved in an organization called the Mankind Project. Mm, uh, and I think we do incredible work in helping men walk their lives differently with a lot of things we're talking about. And we have some processes we use that are pretty incredible. And one of them is around feedback on this topic. That, and, the way, and it's a way to make it safe and easy for people to bring up the issue when it's a hard issue. And we actually, the process involves a single word. That if anybody, whether, whether it was you that felt it or I ex- went, said, wait a minute, that doesn't feel right. All we have to say is, ouch. <laughs> and actually that's my friend wrote that book called ouch that stereotype hurts okay and, and so that that and then the con there's a process after that which is to separate intention from impact yep. and they can say hey just so you know i don't know what your intention was but when you said this or said it that way right. i it impacted me this way and it makes me feel angry it makes me feel sad it makes me feel dismissed whatever it is and the other person the expectation is they will say basically be open enough to say, thank you. Yep. Uh, that wasn't my intention, but I fully hear that that was the impact I had. And wow. thank you for clarifying it. Yeah, the key right. is that short version versus someone having to say, hey, dude, get the whole story. They can use a single word that brings everybody with a common language to say, yep. okay, here we are. There's that discomfort. Let's take a breath. And now we're just going to walk through this and learn. And bring great. that home and talk to my wife about that one. That's a, that's a really good one. Well, and and it's 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 yeah. great because it's it's you're creating that commonality within the the culture, and that's that's great. So you know you know I, I know when I was getting my master's, part of it's in counseling psychology, which I thought I'll never use this. Oh my god, it's like all I use. Um, but but you know it's like when you I feel the cause, you know, and 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 so you're you know, don't be you always and and I'll side note this with have been with my husband for twenty almost twenty four years. Sometimes physician heal thyself. I'm not always great at it still, but um, you know, you, you just do that when you I feel because and you don't do the growth. Well, you always do this, you know. Well, right. find so that specific. That, that helps. Yeah. <laughs> oh boy, you just hit one of my trigger words. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, always. Always, exactly. Yeah, that that's my relationship conversation. And I think that you know that's relevant to our work world in terms of that trust. Being able to say, like for me, those are trigger words. If anybody ever says to me, always or never, you always or you never, yeah. I shut down because yeah. I know now this is not to me a reasoned conversation because there is no such thing as always or never. So I know that this is now exaggerated. And so for me, my ask is I would ask you to limit the use of those words. You're more likely to get me to listen or, or I'm going to tell you, pause, I just got triggered by that word. Can yeah. we back this up? I sure. want to have the conversation, but that's going to be hard from that perspective. And, and that's, that's again, part of the context of the garden. Like you, yeah. Jeff states in his garden, hey, that's not a word we're using. It limits effective feedback. 
That's the expectation, friends. Perfect. That's what a leader should do. What do you feel about, this is something back to the, I guess it's the bit of the empathy side. Uh, I think there's still a lot of leaders who are still very focused on intention and not impact. Mm -hmm. And one of the, I I wish I could attribute this phrase. I know we've talked about on here before. It said that um, I judge myself based on my intention. Others judge me based on my impact. Mm-hmm. And for me, I've embraced that to basically conclude my intention pretty much doesn't matter. Right. <laughs> it's nice, but it really doesn't matter. All that matters is the impact I have. How do you see that showing up as an opportunity for leaders to it, understand it, the difference? It, it's, it's very astound. Um, you know, I, I, I do something very similar. I, it's starting with the concept of perceptions, reality, period, because it, whatever someone sees um, in my words, my actions or inactions or non-words, um, that's their perception. You know, I go back to the, this, um, the, the concepts that I, I shared earlier about being a constantly inclusive leader with the think in, speak up, act out. With the speak up, for example, I, 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 and I do this in the keynotes and it's in the book and all that stuff, um, but it's a concept of not engaging in what's called silent collusion and talk about inaction where, you know, you're sitting in, in that group space um, and I, I use a quick story. I was in Atlanta when I could do such, such things at a client site. And uh, it, was, it was kind of the closing of a, a project, change management project we were doing when my top doggers, Lori, was with me. And it was just like the big hurrah, we're done, yay, we succeeded. And it was about like 30 people in the room. At the head of the table is the senior executive and male, and that's important to the story. Um, and you know, literally the gentleman who signed my checks, so or our checks. And so we're um, just about to start the hurrah meeting. And just as the, the sounds go down, uh, you hear the senior male executive at the head of the table go, well, you know how all women drive. And oh, and, and to Craig's point, but no one even said a word. It, everyone just stopped. And like the, the you know, 80s John Hughes film, er, record screech thing. And just <laughs> kind of looked at that at him in, or in his direction, but no one said a word. Now, at that specific moment, we were all engaging in silent collusion. We were supporting that stupid phrase that this executive said. No one refuted it. At that moment, no one said "ouch," um, which is one of the things that, that Leslie has, has shares. Or you know, I use what's called "mop Sam." It's six ways you can you know, beat um, silent collusion. But that's an opportunity right there for any leader, regardless of your level within the workplace, to be seen as being inclusive, being conscious inclusive. Because you know, when you don't refute that, you're tacitly supporting that. And I always tell leaders, you are always on stage. The spotlight's always on you, whether you're to Zoom spotlight. You're in a physical space. People are always watching what you do and what you don't do in any situation. And that's where your opportunities lie to be seen as more constantly inclusive and to really help create that sense of belonging. So, Steve, I, I love that last part that you shared. It's something that I share like everywhere, not just in my work, that part of leadership is that speaking up, that willingness. And I like to look at acts of leadership versus roles of leadership. Mm. That to me, there's that moment. There's that moment. And and I look at it for myself as if I don't, if I feel it and don't speak up, why didn't I speak up? What am I going to do next time? Because I, I want to, I want to be that person that speaks up every time. And I'd love to sit here and say, I am, and I'm not, I speak up a lot more today than I did 10 years ago or five years ago or six months ago. It's still a journey for me, but I still process why didn't I? And I wonder, is there, um, 
Have you found some value to create conversations around that in an organization? The people just talk about why they don't speak up. Yep. Oh, of course. Uh, you know, the number one thing that I hear, and I, you know, I go, I go, there's a lot of models of, again, out there to beat silent inclusion. I created MopSAM, which is six strategies you can do. And I'll go through like in a workshop or whatever, sharing, you know, some of the, the strategies and people will say, but it's the senior executive. I said, okay. And, <laughs> but, but, but I could lose my job. Could you? And then you dive deeper. And, and a lot of times I get back to those values things again. And, and I said, you know, I tell, I tell folks, especially within a larger organization, you know, with, do you have corporate values? Of course we do. I'm like, what are they? And they'll spit them off. And you, know, that, you could throw them all in a hat and they're pretty much fit any fortune 1000 company to some extent. And I say, great, but are they real? And they're like, what? I'm like, are they the ones that are actually lived within the business or just really pretty HR things on the wall or on the website? And you, this is where the conversation starts to go different. I'm like, well, at corporate, they're real, but at my site, they're not. I'm like, ah, so here's something interesting. And so you start to really pick through this and it gets down to personal values alignment and workplace values alignment. And, and the, the real values, not the pretty ones that are in the marketing brochure. And, and that's when you have that conversation with yourself. And, and you know, I actually, I talk about it in um, the chapter on shaping culture within pride leadership. We as leaders, ultimately it gets down to your personal decision. Do you want to create a workplace of, of belonging for everyone around you? Are you able to do that? And if you're not, or if it's not there, do you have the energy, the effort, the time, the gumption to do that? And that's where you make that personal journey, that personal choice. And Obviously, as someone who's very big on social justice, I'm like, fisticuffs, let's do it. Let's make this happen. But some people don't have that bandwidth, and that, that's totally cool. Then find a place to go. Well, Steve, they often say, um, I need this job. Oh, you're an indentured servant to XYZ company. I'm so sorry. You know, no, no, and, no. It's COVID. There are no yeah, jobs out there. I have gotten more job offers during COVID, and I, I'm not saying that <laughs> egotistically, but everyone's shifting to online, or at least a lot of folks are. And, and so- that's what's going to happen on the back end of this. It is going to be an awesome rock star employees market because I can sit in Orlando, Florida, or yeah. Arkadelphia, Arkansas, or Honolulu, Hawaii, and work for a, city, a company in New York City, and it doesn't matter. So yeah. I, you know, I, 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 you unpack that to kind of get back. Um, you unpack those items for folks to really help them start to see where they have control and power um, and an opportunity to make change, and do they want to make that change, and it's up to them. So Steve, as we wrap up, there's there's one other question that's really gnawing at me. I want to ask, and see, I know you can grant us some wisdom here. I know that as that person that speaks up, in the beginning when I spoke up, I spoke up poorly. Yeah. <laughs> and the, but the best way to explain it was I saw myself as the rescuer. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I'm going to come in and speak up for you because you need me to do this. Mm -hmm. and, I, and I've learned that's not really serving anyone. And I've changed how I do it. And now, for example, when I do it, I usually talk about myself. Yeah. Like I'll say something like, you know, I may, if you said something, Steve, direct, directed at Craig, whatever it is, or in a meeting, instead of coming in to rescue Craig, I'm going to say, hey, Steve, you know, when you said that, that really didn't work for me. I have issues with it. Yeah. And so now the discussion is between you and I about how I was impacted by it, not me saying, hey, I'll bet that really messed with Craig. Yeah. So can you give us a little bit of wisdom and guidance on some of the better ways to speak up without rescuing? Great question. 
It is a great question. And I swear I didn't plant this because it's exactly the model I created. Um, so that you don't do, do exactly what you said, Jeff. And that's, first of all, awesome awareness that you have that. Because you don't want to be that you know, straight, white, cisgendered dude marching in to help the, the other. Um, that's not our job. You know, our, but our job is to, if, if we're in, I don't use the term privilege. I use the term advantage because tr- privilege can trigger folks. Advantage, I think, is a little bit more accurate in my perspective. Um, you know, so what can we do? So in the MOPSAM methodology, the first one, you know, you use me to your exact point. Um, you ask yourself, you know, is, is the statement that was just said, um, something that actually impacts me personally, you know? So in the case of going back to, to Bob, the executive who said, you know, how women drive, you know, if I was a female, I could say, um, you know, Bob, I actually don't think that's accurate because I'm a really good driver and I'm a woman. So, but obviously Steve cannot say that. So the next one is, is, driver. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, <laughs> really not a good driver. I'm so from Philly, it's bad. Um, but uh, the the O, the next one in, in Mopsan, the O is out. So you call out the absolute. So here's a, the trigger words for Jeff. As we talked about earlier, you know, it's it's like, well, you know how all women drive. You can, that's where I can jump in and be like, really, Bob? All women? You know, you've driven with every woman in the world. What's going on there? So you know, I can I can jump in there. And side note with all of these, if you have the gift of humor, you can wield that puppy like a sword. And that's a gorgeous thing to do. If you can't, don't, because it won't come off. <laughs> Good point. Yeah. So, so which is the, the P in Mopsam, which is actually the word point. So you actually point out a specific if you know them. So I could say, well, Bob, you know, we went to lunch the other day and Juanita drove and she's a great driver. And so if you know that, again, you might not have that. Um, and all these have pros and cons. And, you know, I go into a little workshop and I have a free uh, like little online training vignette I can share with folks in the, the notes if they want to play around with this. Um, the S, the MOPS, this S in, in MOPSAM is you say a non-word and that's kind of getting to your ouch point, Jeff. Um, that's a non-word that all that indicates is I am not on board or it, it hit me in a certain way. And Ooh. so, um, uh. yeah, exactly. And that's actually what happened in this scenario. There's a gentleman sitting on the side and you know, in that, that 29 minutes of silence, which it wasn't, but it felt like it, um, <laughs> it, it the, this, this young guy, I mean, he was just joined the company. It was, so he was low on the uh, proverbial totem pole and he just crossed his arms and went, damn. And it, <laughs> it made it blatantly clear how he felt about that statement. And that actually sure. created more of the rift that everyone just kind of jumped in. Um, the A in Mop Sam is ask, you just ask, what the person meant. And you have to be careful with this one because um, how you say it is, is different or can really change the meaning. So it's, Bob, what did you mean by that? Versus Bob, what did you mean by that? You know, same words, very different meaning. And then the last um, in Mopsam, the M is move. You physically remove yourself from the situation if that's kind of your last resort. So those are some things that none of those touch upon the, you know, knight in shining armor, woe is me kind of thing. But you pick one that feels the best for you and is appropriate for the context and kind of see what happens. Oh, wait, Steve, I think you missed one. I think the L label, you know, we want to label that person as a, as a sexist, you know, racist. You it's know, a great whatever, right? strategy. You know, that, that works really well, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, if you want to get fired. <laughs> yeah, right. No, but I mean, yes. No, I'm, I'm certainly joking about that. Of course. Of course. But but some people go that path because they're reacting from that emotional perspective. Right. That's probably not the smartest strategy to do yeah. as hard as that can be to fight that. Well, so I was having a conversation with somebody yesterday and this person knows that she and this other person 
conflict a lot. And when one person raises their voice, the other person does, and it escalates. And, and she told me yesterday, she's like, I really want to solve that. I said, okay, well, you, you need to find somebody who can help you with that blind spot because you don't know when that, what's triggering that. You don't know what's, what else is going on. I said, it's, you know, it's like a, uh, my, my business partner, Jeff, he is phenomenal at asking the right questions and giving the perspective. And she's like, he's expensive, isn't he? I was like, yes. And how important <laughs> is it for you to fix this? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It, and, you know, it, it goes back to the concept of emotional intelligence you know, that emotional intelligence is understanding you, understanding others. And, yeah. and you know, it, and that whole self-awareness thing to broaden that to all of leadership is a really hard thing to do. Um, we get into our own space. We don't have, I, I use the phrase drone perspective, kind of getting your little drone and go, and you kind of look at the, the situation above. That's not easy for some leaders to do, but it is gold when you can do it. Yes. It, well, it really I think does to, bring back the, the need, though, to have those, those people around us who are, who we're asking to help. You know, where we're saying, look, it is okay for you to call me out on this. Even, even in a public group, more vulnerability, but it also puts more impact and emphasis on what we're really trying to accomplish here. Yep. Well, and I guess uh, to put a bow on this, that from the, the conversation we just had, what struck me is I get, the, I get the importance of not stating labels about people. I guess what hit me is I think there's some value in I think there is values in me personally labeling people in that I'm going to Maya Angelou said, when people show you who they are, believe them. <laughs> so it's so easy for me to look at someone's behavior and say, that's just how they are. It's not that they've got, they've got an issue with how they're seeing different people. So I'm choosing not to label them. And therefore I allow the behavior to continue because I give them an out because I don't want to label. I'm not talking mm-hmm. about calling them by that names. Yeah. But when I see consistent behavior from people, I'll, I'll be honest, I form opinions about them, sure. how they see people, and I will interact with them from that place and see where I, if I, and I will ter- generally, if I've got some sort of relationship or uh, investment in this relationship, I'm going to start asking questions to see if mm-hmm. they're open to seeing this. Yeah. And I'll usually start for me talking about myself because yeah. I've learned that it doesn't usually help to say what you just said is this, it's. Well, for me, I, I know how many, I don't know how many conversations I start that way. Yeah. For me, I guess I see it this way yeah. and to see if there's any opening to seeing it differently. And if they say, I think that's all bullshit. <laughs> I go, well, okay. okay. Um, okay. I know I, I actually, at that point, I do know who you are yeah. on that topic. <laughs> on that well, topic. And I, I'm, I'm there with you, Jeff. And I, not, you know, going back to that whole mop Sam thing, that a for ask, Ask them what they meant by that. Again, as, as long as you can watch the tone, it's a powerful thing to have in your pocket because mm-hmm. you're just asking, how did you get to that perspective? And, and I'm not judging you. Um, you can even add things to like, well, that's really interesting. How did you get there, Jeff? And, and you just kind of let it go. And then getting back to what we said at the very beginning, you're listening to understand versus listening to respond. And so that's kind of the, 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 the challenge that a lot of us face is we don't want to go to that part. We just want to like fisticuffs and get ready. And that's not the best way to, to bridge the gap when you have those different perspectives. Well, I love this conversation, Steve. I, we've had similar topics discussed, but you've brought a whole new flavor to it, a richness. And I love some of the tools you offered us and the people who are listening to navigate. It's challenging space. Let's face it. Oh, yeah. It's challenging. And it's, to me, it's so vital, uh, not just in our businesses, but in our world. So thank you for all the wisdom you brought. 
we, we always like to give you an opportunity, our guests and opportunities. Is there something in particular we want to promote or share with our listeners? Yeah, actually. Um, so if you go to topdoglearning.biz, B-I-Z, um, you can find all sorts of fun stuff. All of our training classes are online there. But for anyone who's listening, um, you know, I am a big believer, especially right now, in being resilient in times of change. I wonder why. Um, so if you look on the t- kind of top there, you'll see a big shiny green button that says, like, podcasters click here. Um, if you click that, um, we'll put in the, in the, um, the notes um, a coupon code to get 75% off our online training program on resiliency. Um, it knocks it down to like 20, 20 bucks or something like that. Uh, I, I just want people to do it because I, I created this actually during the beginning of the pandemic at the, the request of one of my top doggers because it was like a one-day workshop we did and I kind of pulled the best concepts out and created this self-paced thing because I just saw people needing it. So yeah. have at it if you're interested and there's some other things that might be of value in there. I know I forced my husband to go through it when he went because he's not a big change person. And he's like, actually, that was pretty cool. And so I'm, an endorsement from him is pretty cool because he's, you know, he's, he's sometimes my, my biggest gorgeous critic, you know, that's out there. So, so there's that's that. awesome. Well, I know you also mentioned in the discussion, Steve, something about a free pro, something, a free piece where people could learn a little bit about the process. Oh, uh, the Mopsam. Yeah. Um, so if actually topdoglearning.biz, if you go to courses, you'll see it's, it's actually one of the few that's listed as freebie. All you do is like put in your name, you can go dive as deep as you want on the whole concepts of um, beating silent collusion through the Mopsam method. And you'll I get to meet it. the dog named Sam, who's a mop. Love dog. it. Love it. And you mentioned your website, but what's the best way for people to contact with you if they want to connect? Same website. You'll see a contact us. It'll go to um, our awesome admin team and they'll, they'll find me that way. Or for some of the things you can actually even just jump on my calendar um, for a quick 15 minute. Hello. Um, that's also on topdoglearning.biz. Awesome. Well, thank you. And we always wrap up with a couple of questions. Obviously you're a learner. Craig and I are as well. What's that book that people need to read, Steve? You know, this was such a great question and I had like 98 books I wanted to share. <laughs> um, so it so depends on the topic, And but I took it, uh, you know, I, I tried to think about it from, I'm an entrepreneur, I'm a leader, here's what I think. And, you know, because I could go down the path of, you know, all the um, understanding of white fragility and all that stuff, or I can go down the leadership path of Brene Brown's. But one book that I read very early on in starting Top Dog that really helped put things in perspective was... Um, uh, the book called The Four Hour Work Week. Oh, uh, Tim Ferriss. Yeah. And I was going to say, I, it's been out there for a while. But the one thing that still resonates, like, you know, 12 years to this day, um, is the concept of really creating that niche for you. And I think that applies to all of us as leaders. And, and yeah, it's great. I want to be the leader of everything. Well, don't. <laughs> you find that niche. I mean, there's a reason why I, you know, I have Top Dog Learning Group and I'm the gay leadership dude for a reason. Um, and, and I think that that really resonated with me quite well for whatever you want to focus on, be that niche, carve that niche and be the rock star in your niche that you can be. Yeah. Right on. Thank you, Steve. Thank, and I think that's a new one, Craig. I don't think we've had that one come up yet. Not as the so, list. Of course, pride leadership, but that's so about it, but yeah, <laughs> leadership, that's right. Yeah. And what about wisdom? You know, we all talk about having wisdom, right? We force our guests to say, what's that one piece of wisdom that people read and hear from you today? is if you are an entrepreneur, a small business owner, you're running a massive department at a Fortune 500, or you're the CEO, know that you shape workplace culture. And it's never too early to think about what are you doing to create the workplace culture for those around you, whether that be for yourself and your future growth or for the 90,000 people who work around you. 
Thank you, Steve. Thanks for being here. Thanks for helping me and all of our listeners to be more consciously inclusive. Awesome. Thank you, guys. If you like this podcast, you'll love the Cartavera Tribe. The Cartavera Tribe is a community of growth-committed leaders who want to connect, engage, and grow themselves, their people, and their businesses. Cartavera is a leadership development ecosystem with training, coaching, assessments, and events to challenge you and help you grow. And the Cartavera Tribe is a membership like none other. You'll get live access to Craig and Jeff where you can ask questions, as well as masterminds where you can get answers from other leaders who've already solved your greatest challenges. You'll have access to additional interviews and a variety of courses, tools, and resources to help you achieve your biggest goals. We have monthly game days where we have challenges and competitive games to help you grow your leadership capabilities. And you'll get a personal growth Sherpa who will guide you to help you reach your growth goals. To find out more, go to cartavera.com. That's C-A-R-D-I-V-E-R-A.com. See you on the inside. Do you love news about LinkedIn, Indeed, Google, and just about every other recruitment tech company out there? Hell yeah. I'm Chad. I'm Cheese. We're the Chad and Cheese Podcast. All the latest recruiting news and insights are on our show. Dripping in snark and attitude. Subscribe today wherever you listen to your podcasts. We We out. out.